Podcast 150, Yin's Retainment Podcast. We are back. It's a Tuesday. Fucking beautiful Tuesday out there. October, what, 6th? Getting to that spooky season. Halloween right yeah. around the corner. Oh, yeah. Halloween, baby. Halloween. I was already looking again like a, like a Jason shirt or something. Oh, should we make a a, a Steelers Halloween-themed T-shirt? <laughs> dude, that'd be, dude, that'd be pretty sweet. Get seasonal with it, real fucking seasonal. Dude, that's, I'd be down. I'm sure McGroy could come up with something. That sounds like it's something McGroy would be right on top of. <clears throat> I agree, I agree 100%. Uh, not with us today, though, on his way to Tennessee. Had bigger and better shit to do. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I, he's living so early. I know, good for him. Go enjoy it, right? I mean, I'm sure, I think he's going to be working from home, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so, but. At least he'll be doing it in the Rocky Mountains instead of Crystal Lake, Illinois. So, facts, facts. I mean, he's probably not going to even leave the room of uh, where we're saying it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Assuming he brought his PS4 with him, yeah, that's true. Dude, he probably brought like a PS4, two TVs, his, uh, <laughs> his fucking laptop, and three, his iPad. Three speakers. He brought his whole sub setup, like the subs on his fucking TV. At oh home. yeah. Dude, I, I can imagine, like, that's all he... He was, like, he packed all that, and he's like, oh, shit, of course. <laughs> he's like, I don't need any clothes. Fuck it. Yeah. Wow. But, yeah, he's uh he's not here, but good news for anyone who gives a shit about him. Uh, we Later this episode, we're going to plug in an interview we did uh, with baseball and, I guess, sports author. He wrote yeah. multiple sports books, right? Yeah. 35, 35, to be exact, right? 35. Dude, that's... I don't think I've even read 35 books in my life. I can I can say for certain, with 100% certainty, that I have not. I don't know if I can name more than, like, four books off the top of my head. I couldn't name two authors off the top of my head. Stephen King and J.K. Rowling. Psych. I was going to say Dr. Seuss. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, Wayne Stewart is his name. Uh, born and raised in Pittsburgh, so he's a Pittsburgh guy. Uh, reached okay. out to us, uh, asked if we'd be interested in talking to him because he's Currently writing a new book about Bill Mazarowski, I, I guess, is what's going on. But uh, I, I speak for Alex and myself, and I know Michael Woman when I say it's the the best interview we've done on this podcast, bar none. It's not not gonna lie. After we did it, I like couldn't stop thinking about we about that conversation we had with him because like. You know, and it's one of those things that, like, I mean, not not that we're not grateful for everybody else that comes on here, but it's one of those things that, like, when you have somebody that's that passionate to write 35 books, it has so much knowledge and has talked to all these players, has has all this insight. Like, you you get a different perspective of things. Like, I, I, left, I left that interview, like, thinking and seeking that I needed to know more. And that I wanted to read some of his books to understand more and know more. Yeah. I mean, he's talked to so many people and, and you'll hear all the big names, you know, when when that yeah. part comes around here. But uh, yeah, you uh, you want to give him a little hint about who he was, uh, for, was he former teammates with? Um, Was he teammates with? Is that what he said? I thought that's what he said. <sighs> I don't even know who it was, honestly. Maybe you're, you maybe you have to give a little hint. <laughs> uh, you don't know. Just listen. To <laughs> give me a hint. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
No, yeah, yeah. They'll figure it out. I'll figure it out too when I listen back. Uh, it's all Gucci, but uh, yeah, it it was a great conversation. Just like he's he's an older guy, obviously, um, but the wealth of knowledge that he is and like how passionate he is about baseball is really fucking cool. And I feel like that's something that's lost in our generation is like being obsessed with the history of baseball type of thing. Yeah. And uh, so it was just really cool to talk to him. Great interview. Maybe maybe not the most enjoyable for the viewer. I'm sure it's going to be enjoying. But, I mean, as far yeah. as people we've talked to and, like, the most I've enjoyed in an interview, that was definitely fucking number one. Yeah, it was cool. But uh, I guess the only hint we'll say is he knows somebody who was a senior. His son is a junior and is more recognized than him. They're both upperclassmen, though, is – is all yeah. you need to know. Juniors and seniors. Yeah, he's talked <laughs> to a lot of fucking people. I don't even. I can't even imagine. Could you even imagine? I. I barely idols? talk to you guys, and yeah. And like outside of that, like I, I can't say that I, I talk to too many different people. Like if if it's not work. Yeah. My family. True. Um. So yeah. We'll talk some baseball with him uh, at the end of the podcast, but uh, for now we got some football to discuss by week for the Steelers. Unfortunately, considering the Titans, everyone on the team and their mother got fucking COVID, so uh, that game yeah. got bounced to, I don't know, was it week eight was supposed to be there by? Yeah. So now they just swap it with week four and they'll play in week eight, which, you know, I hate the bye week so early as a fan. Yeah. But definitely, like, for the team, like, you get such an early bye week now. You have to play 12 straight fucking games, 12 straight fucking weeks. Like, that's not easy to do without a break in between. And it's yeah. like, I mean, the Titans fuck the Steelers now. I mean, I, I guess they're both fucked. But, like, as far as getting the shit under the stick when it comes to your bye week, like, we got fucked. And I don't know how true this is, but I'm living it myself. But I saw that the last time the Steelers had a uh, week for bye week, they won the Super Bowl. I did see that. So that gives me hope. And also, it's one of those things I think uh, Mike Tomlin said about It is what it is. We're going to keep moving forward. And I think us as fans maybe dwell on it more than the players. I think the players are like, all right, cool, because – uh, I guess today in the Steelers press conference when Mike Tomlin addressed everyone, he did bring up, bring up some good points where, like, this extra week gave them time to work on some uh, scheme schematics, like, uh, get, like, a lot of things downright and also helped with uh, maybe trying to get Derek Watt back. He was battling an injury, Marcus Allen. Uh, Deontay John's out of, out of concussion protocol. He's full participant going to be playing, so... If the game was last week, I don't know if Deontay plays. Uh, not, I mean, obviously we have different offensive threats, but you know, it's always nice to see somebody like Deontay, you know, playing whatnot. So I guess he brought up some good points with that. So I guess hopefully uh, we can try to keep health moving forward. Yeah, that's always been a trouble spot for the Steelers. You know, keeping fucking healthy throughout the year, and I guess it is good in that sense. You know, you get your guys who are banged up. You know more time to rest but it's gonna be a tough i I will say i will say i had a super lazy and calm sunday 
Well, that's yeah. the thing is, like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, yeah, I watched the other games, but those aren't, like, I'm not invested in those other games. I mean, I guess I have fantasy to worry about, but it's not the same, you know? True. true. I watched three movies instead. And it's <clears throat> it's like the fucking Browns won, the Ravens won, and the Bengals all won. Everyone in our fucking division got another win on the board this week, and then the Steelers fucking couldn't even do that because fucking COVID. Hey, you know what I said? Water always finds his level. Water always finds the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wow, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty chill. Uh Watch a little bit of Thursday night game, the Broncos Miami. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night. And then I watched a little bit of the game last night, uh, the Chiefs and uh, Patriots. The Patriots. Yo, yeah. a lot, a lot of people saying that if Cam Newton also who has COVID didn't play, fucking Brian Hoyer, you got starting in under center for the Patriots. But if Cam Newton plays, man, that's a totally different ball game, which fucking again sucks. COVID I, is running train on everything, but I agree one thousand percent with that because Cam Newton, right or not, no offense to Brian Hoyer, but you ain't you ain't Cam Newton, baby. But you've been in the league for twenty years as a backup only, so that's yeah, not, that's and, not true. But he's old now. I mean, how much do you expect you know, of the guy? Yeah, I had the game on yesterday during dinner, and my fiance brought up a good point. She was like. Because I was like, we're, we're talking about the game, the half in it, it was like six to three or whatever, nine to three. And I was like, that's so crazy that this game was that low, especially with Cam Newton not playing, you know. She was like, oh, why is he not playing? I was like, oh, he, he tests positive for coach, so he can't play. She goes, wow. She was like, do you think with that now, like, where if one player tests positive, wait, you know what? Actually, I just thought of this. So he tests a positive. And because he was, like, the only one, the rest of the team got to play. And he he just had to self-isolate. Yeah. And there was, like, no, oh, okay, I guess. All right. That's so weird to me in a way. Like, how was he the only one that tested positive? Who knows, man? You know, like, we were talking a few episodes ago. It's not like, uh, you know, the NHL and the NBA where they got the bubble and they're always monitored. You know, like, they're out fucking doing whatever, living their lives. I'm sure he picked it up probably. I don't know, smashing some coochie or something. But but I guess like okay, if he gets a, I'm I guess in a way I'm like shocked he didn't give it to anybody else on the team. Yeah, well, I mean they get tested so often that it's like you catch it so soon that you could probably prevent it. But I mean yeah, my my yeah. girlfriend just had to get tested because she was with her friend who had it and she came back negative. So it's like all these dudes are in yeah. fucking tip top shape and they're healthy as fucking anybody ever and i'm sure they're probably fighting that shit off pretty easily i I guess back to my point what i was saying is uh she was saying like do you think this might affect like maybe what teams might get into playoffs or who goes further like she's like do you think there could be like a super bowl winner of a very unlikely team and i was like you know what i don't rule out completely at this point i mean yeah anything could fucking happen right like, like how we said, like, if Cam Newton's out, like, say, you know, first game in the playoffs, you know, it's New England versus 
the Bills and New England is without like you know three of their best like uh, defensive backs or something. You know, like does, does that change? It? Do the Bills go further in that point? And well, yeah, the Bills win that game regardless, full team or not. So. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, if anything, they'll just stop that ass. But I mean, yeah, like you know. I don't know who's the best team in football right now. The Chiefs. Like, what if Patrick Mahomes gets COVID and has to miss a game? Exactly. Who's the backup in KC? Oh well, yeah. Who's the backup in KC? No. Uh, who fucking knows, right? Not yeah. and without Mahomes, who knows if that team even is any good? That's true. That's true. Or I mean, like, what if you know uh, Travis Kelsey gets it? <laughs> Frank Clark gets it. What if? You know, any yeah. of those guys. So like, it's like anything could happen and anybody could fucking win this season, which is and not I mean, beyond that <laughs> beyond that, like you know, if more people and more teams start getting it, it could just ruin the whole fucking season. I mean I agree. <clears throat> if the Titans this week still had positive tests all week and they had to miss another game, then what? When the fuck do you well, reschedule that? Well, I saw a thing that <sighs> Uh, and this is coming from uh, Woj, I think. No, from Report. That he was saying that I guess the NFL is prepared to push back like the playoff games and the and, and the Super Bowl, if possible. Like that's already a possibility to give like make up time and weeks for teams that like need to do that. Which, okay, not, I guess I guess that makes sense because you can't realistically plug in a second week into the season as preventive and then like nothing happens. Yeah. I mean So I guess you could always push back the the final but that that kind of sucks for some teams. But for how long? I mean if another team turns out like the Titans did and they miss a game or two and then another team has to miss a game or two, you have to make all those up when? And what if, you know, the same team has to play two of those teams that missed games because of COVID. You can't make yeah. them up. It's. No, I agree. It's, and it's not fair to that other team that they have to. They didn't have COVID and they got to fucking play 18 weeks now. You know what? That sounds like we're going to have a doubleheader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Doubleheader football games. Dude, I would have hated so much about those players. <laughs> yeah, but then the first game is like. The uh, all the starters and stuff. Second games is uh, the second game is all the backups. You just play all the, the backups. Replacements? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See who has uh, the best full squad. You know. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I that is a good point. Like, that's tough. I guess at what point do you think they would just be like, "Yo, we're shutting down the season"? I think if at least four teams in one week. Like just yeah. positive, like crazy. They would have to shut it down. Yeah, because I mean, dude, that's it, it's just it's so crazy to even think. Because I mean, then what? You stretch out the season, fucking three more weeks. Like it's just not logistical. Or we just get. I mean, honestly, we get rid of the Pro Bowl. Fuck. That's, you just gained a week. Now nah, you just make those teams forfeit, man. Like I don't know. I don't know. And and that's the problem is there's no like set in stone procedure for if and when it happens. They don't have anything in place. Clearly, we saw it with the Titans. They had no idea what the fuck they were doing. Yep, yep. But 
Anyway, shout out Rob Tunyon, Packers tight end, three touchdowns yesterday. Hometown kid. That's our dude. That was amazing. Uh, I, I saw it and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I, I, got, I didn't realize he's been doing so well this year and getting so many looks and starting. But yeah, he's like their I, number one tight end right now. Yeah, I, I saw he's been getting the ball every, every once in a while when I turn the game on. I'd see him and I was like, yo, good for him. Like, that's. He might even be the best tight end in the league right now, statistically speaking. He has five touchdowns, I think. That's definitely the most by any tight end. It's more than uh, Hunter Henry, Darren Waller, Jerry Cook, and like all these other guys combined. So, yeah. So, dude's killing it, man. Fucking good for him. Shout out him. He got he put on so much muscle mass. Dude, I just picked him up like off waivers on like Sunday morning. You did? Yeah, somebody dropped him. Well, you must have put in on the waiver because I also put in on the waiver yesterday for him. I'm sure everyone and their mother is going to be putting in. Or you know what, dude? It might be the wrong league, I'm thinking. Oh, you're in another league? Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Because I put in for him in both of my leagues. Okay, yeah. I think it's my different league. But yeah, I just hope I beat... Whoever else to it. Um, so, yeah. so Ty, let me let me ask you a question. What is the one thing you're looking forward to in this Steelers uh, Eagles game? You know, it's a good question. I haven't really thought that far ahead. I don't. I'm not much of a thinker aheader. So, um, but I think what I'm most looking forward to is. I don't know. I mean, I know the Eagles aren't great this year. I'm not sure what their defense looks like, but it probably can't be too great. They have a lot of uh, injuries right now. I think it'll be a good opportunity for Ben to find a rhythm with all these receivers. It'll be. I think it'll be the game where he's able to kind of fucking go above and beyond. You know, 450 fucking passing yards, five touchdowns type of game. And I think it'll give him a chance to spread it out across the board to the receivers and kind of. He's been throwing to Deontay a lot. He's been throwing Juju a lot. I would love to see James Washington get in the mix a little bit more, see Claypool get some touches, but I'm looking forward to the offense just kind of fucking going on a tear. You know what? I, I want to get in front of this right now, and I'm doing it uh, out of respect to you <laughs> and, and how much you love this guy. I think Ray Ray's going to run well back this week. Ooh, that's a prediction think, for you. I think this is the week he finally like doesn't trip up on himself. And he goes to the house. Uh, I'll tell you what. You're right. Nobody would love that more than me. I want to see yeah. Ray Ray get his. He deserves it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, that that would be pretty fucking sweet. Uh, could you? And he's, dude, you saw last week. He's ready. Like, he's that close to just busting one open. He, I love his confidence. I love the way he moves. He, oh, dude, I, I haven't been this excited for... You know, uh, punt return or kick return on Steelers in like a while. Well, right? it's like maybe AB was returning. It's kind of been the Steelers' MO, right, in the past, like, what, 10 years, as far as always having that one guy that's just fast as fuck. Yeah, yeah DHB was the last guy. Who? Darius Hayward Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, fucking Martavis Bryant and all these guys. Uh, but. Um, yeah so it's like we've always had that one fast guy that's always just been kind of like at any point he could do something spectacular and Ray Ray McLeod's that guy 
and it's only a matter of time before he does something spectacular. Maybe even he gets in some fucking wide receiver touches and gets a fucking tutter. Who knows, dude? Yeah, yeah throw him in the slot. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I don't know. Um, do you think it's going to be a fucking slaughter or what? I mean, I don't want to jinx anything. Me either. I don't. Arrested up Steelers team. Is it, that, that's that's a thing. That's what hurts me and what kills me. I don't, I don't trust the Steelers off a bye ever because they're, they're already slow to start. And then usually off a bye, they're even like slower to get going for some reason. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, my score prediction, though, I will give you it. I think it's going to end 27 to 10. Yeah, that's pretty fair. It's pretty fair. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say 31 to 13. I think I might've said that last week. (laughs) I, for some reason, like that score, but, uh, yeah, either way, Steelers win and we go for an O is what we're looking for. Um, man, noon game. (sighs) Yeah, maybe I'm going to be coming home from Wisconsin camping. So I got to try to make it home before noon, and then I got to be out in Lamont probably about four. So this might work perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, cool. All right. Well, yeah, let's plan for that, but uh, excited to see the Steelers. Steelers get back in action. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know what? I'm, uh, all right. One last question. How many interceptions do you think we'll get? I'm going to go with one. I'm going to be modest about it. Uh, I know, again, this is probably a good opportunity for the you know, Steelers defense, especially if the Eagles are going to end up playing Jalen Hurts at quarterback, which there was talk about. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but, I mean, you put the Steelers defense against – you know what? Scratch all that. If the, if the Eagles put a rookie quarterback out against the Steelers defense for his first start, I'll eat my gym shorts. I mean, that would just be asinine. Absolutely Dude, reckless. I, I, I as soon as he said Jalen Hurts, I, he, he said Jalen Hurts might play. I immediately was like, "Can I change my score prediction?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, if Jalen Hurts plays, listen, defense is eaten. Dude, oh, and don't forget, we're going to revisit our boy Javon Hargrave. Mm-hmm. He's on the Eagles. Uh, yeah, you know what, Jalen Hurts. Look, man, I I thought the Super should have picked you. I was for you. Um, you don't want to smoke. <laughs> uh, you, you don't want to see this defense. Uh, you thought it was bad when Sam Darnold saw ghosts. Uh, hey, listen, Alex is about that smoke, and the steel the Jalen Hurts is not about that smoke. I'm just saying. Look, I wish nothing but success. So come on, man. That's if the listen. If the Eagles play him, that's just fucking reckless behavior on that team's management. So we'll see, yeah. man. Either yeah. way, Steelers defense is eaten, but one pick. Yeah, yo, Jalen here starts on Sunday. You better have the fucking psychiatrist ready for after the game. Yeah, definitely. And I'll bring wings again. <laughs> Down, dude. To your to your cribbo. Um, cool. 
let's wrap this shit up then. Um, switch over to some baseball right after this. Uh, our interview with Wayne Stewart, author again, thirty-five books, baseball fountain of knowledge. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely check out some of his books. Uh, I know we're we're planning on ordering a few and uh, rotating them and reading through them. Uh, he's got great insight, like easy to talk to. Like literally, felt like he was just one of the guys. <laughs> one of the guys, just a little bit older, but yeah, hey, barely. He didn't even sound <clears throat> that. Cool. No, no, it's it's almost like I don't know. It's almost like uh, you know, like. There's probably that one older person at your work that you just get along with really well. Yeah. Even though you guys come from different generations, you're just like, we get each other kind of. That's yeah. Wayne. That's Wayne. He just, he gets it, you know. Yeah. Great guy. Great to talk to. So listen and uh, go buy his books. Um, yes, all 35. Yes. And since I didn't end the interview with it, I'll say now, before the interview, uh, check us out, yinzertainment.com, Y-I-N-Z-E-R-tainment.com. Links to the podcast are on there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you find a podcast. Um, at Daily, Y-I-N-Z Daily on social media. Check out the YouTube t- page. Subscribe to that. And uh, we'll see you fucking Steeler Sunday, baby. Let's go. Let's go black and yellow, renegade on that ass. Yeah, hopefully we see you on Victory Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeet, yeet. All right, we have Wayne Stewart, author, joining us right now, Yin's Entertainment Podcast, episode 150. Wayne, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. It should be fun. I enjoy talking baseball. Oh, As do we, absolutely, especially some Pirates baseball, you know, even though it didn't look so hot this year. Um you know, you reached out to us, um, you know, asking if we would be willing to interview. We we got to ask, you know, we're some small rinky dink podcast. How in the world did you find us? <laughs> okay. Well, long story. Chuck Finder, I think he used to write for the Plain Dealer, helped me, uh, did interviews with me for a couple of books I've written, such as a biography I did of Stan Musial. And I was just thinking, you know, with the anniversary of Maz's home run coming up, uh, have I done enough trying to reach people? And uh, Chuck said, why don't you try these podcasts? And he said, you know, there are really quite a few. And, uh, you know, I, I did some digging and you, your name came up. And I thought, perfect. Uh, it would be a great venue to share some Pittsburgh information with fans who are really focused on pot- the Pirates. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. That's, well, hey, you yeah. might be the first person, person that's ever reached out to us asking if we want to talk to them. Usually we're trying to scramble and find people to talk to us. So that was a nice huh. change of pace. Um, Great. So let's get right into it. I mean, author of, I don't even know. I couldn't even count how many books online. You said 35? Yeah, it is 35, sure. Awesome. 35 books. Now, is that all baseball or is that sports of all different genres or just sports? A handful of books have been on football and basketball. I did the autobiography of Raymond Berry. I go way back and. uh, he was a you know great uh, obviously a hall of famer but my my true love is baseball and again coming from Denora Pennsylvania I happened to be a classmate and a, a high school baseball teammate of Ken Griffey senior uh, he what? I did one of the yeah yeah he did one of the blurbs for the book he did like an endorsement so did Vernon Law but uh, with Stan Musial being from Denora and uh, you know I, it was just a natural that baseball is my first love so most of the books have been about about baseball that's amazing Okay. That's that's incredible. <laughs> Ken Griffey so Sr. Cool w- would you say that he's 
as far as you know, most recognizable names that you've interviewed for a book? Is he right up there with those names, or? Well, I think he's underrated. You know, he had 296 lifetime, and everybody thinks about his son more so than him. Um, and uh, I did interview Junior. You know, I've been at it for so many years that I've been around, you know, a lot of guys and been lucky to interview Nolan Ryan, Tony Gwynn, just tons of Willie Stargell, just tons of players over the years. So to answer your question, Ken Griffey Jr. may not be the most high-profile guy, <laughs> but uh, he, was a, he was a great, great ball player. You know, you don't hit 296 lifetime. Uh, you know, by luck. Right. <laughs> I guess I didn't realize he hit so well throughout his career. I mean, and like you said, you think of Ken Griffey Jr. when you think Ken Griffey. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, one of the one of the only, or maybe the only, father son duo to play in the MLB at the same time. Are there many more than them? Barry and Bobby. Barry and Bobby. And uh, Prince and Cecil. Okay. Well, not at the same time. Not at the same, time, at the same though, time. But yeah. Yeah, we had. Um, trying to remember uh, tim raines his son uh, had a cup of coffee and i believe they were at the same time period i believe uh, but uh, it, it's rare and uh, you know ken griffey senior can actually say that he outhit his son as far as lifetime batting average but yeah junior of course is the big big star wow. right that's that's what's crazy i mean especially for us like our generation you know we grew up watching Ken Griffey Jr. So we didn't really even know about senior until mm-hmm. the older we get and, you know, we do our own research, but yeah, I, I truly, I had no idea that uh, senior out hit junior in his career. That's crazy. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were both. So yeah, absolutely. Both great ball players. Oh, definitely. Sure. So, definitely. so would you say you have a favorite person that you've interviewed for a book? I mean, I, I'm sure you, I mean, with a lot like those guys that you just mentioned, I mean, how can you pick just one, right? But is there one that specifically stood out for you that you enjoyed the most? Well, n- not just one, but the thing I really liked were guys like Doug Drabeck and uh, Rex Hudler. Uh, I, I remember in Hudler's case, I approached him before a game and said I had a question for him. I mentioned the question. He said, gee, no, I can't, I don't, I can't help you offhand. And then later I go into the clubhouse and uh, – he approaches me, he says, you know, I, I gave some thought to that. And he came up with uh, nice answers. And uh, Dre Beck was very similar. Uh, some of the baseball guys, you know, like in the old, old days, these were guys that came off the farms. Uh, these were guys who weren't very polished. But as you get more and more, you know, progressing to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, a lot of these guys are very articulate. So it's always fun. Uh, one time at Three Rivers, I was talking to Tony Gwynn. And uh, I liked him because he was just so, once he, once he found out I wanted to talk about hitting, he became so incisive and they just make your job easier. So there have been a ton of guys that have been a pleasure to talk with and uh, only a small handful of guys who are unpleasant or rude or whatever. Oh, well, that's good. I mean, at yeah. least. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. good to imagine or picture. You right, know, especially, you know, like Michael, you said, growing up, these these people were our role models. I mean, we were baseball we, like, players our whole lives. Yeah, we idolized them. So it's nice to hear that at least most of these guys that we idolized have, you know, are good people yeah. for the most mm-hmm. part. I mean, as far as we're yeah. aware. So that's when awesome. You, when you were interviewing uh, Tony Gwynn, did he have uh, a fat pinch of tobacco in his mouth? You know, I don't think so. It was a pregame right after he had taken BP. <laughs> so I don't think so. I don't recall that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unusual for him, it seems. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was there. I just didn't notice. <laughs> it's not what you were focused on. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so have you been an author your whole life? Is that, you know, what you've been doing for a, a long time or did, were you in some kind of, you know, profession before that? Well, I've been a teacher for 30, 30 years. Oh, wow. I've, I'm retired now, but, uh, uh, early in my teaching career, I had a, an idea for a, a story, um, and I sent it off to Baseball Digest thinking that if they publish it, great. And if they don't, I'm, I'm not really a writer, but they, they <laughs> published it. And after that, I got encouraged. And, you know, with like anything, on, if you don't have a resume, people say, ah, he's got no experience. But once I had the Baseball Digest under my belt, uh, it became easier to do more magazines. And then I think 80, 1986 is when I first uh, wrote a book. So I've been writing for many years, but um, that wasn't my main profession. So, so what would you say is uh, one of the books that you wrote that you had the most fun, you know, writing well, actually, I came out with two books this year. The one about the 1960 Pirates, and another one that's called called Wits, Flakes, and Clowns, Baseball's Most Colorful Characters. So it's hard to say, but either one of those two books or the Stan Musial book, uh, the, the Wits, Flakes, and Clowns book is just full of humor. Uh, I not only got exclusive material, but I also tried to get the best of the best from all the books I've read over the years. So to me, it's it might be like the funniest baseball book out there, maybe ever. I mean, I'm biased, but <laughs> just a ton of great stories, anecdotes, just funny stuff. Uh, Andy Van Slyke was extremely helpful, for example, and you know how clever and witty he is. Yeah, wow. that's incredible. I've, I'm looking at it on uh, Amazon right now, and that's the first name I saw was Andy Van Slyke in the description. Yeah, I'm going to have to mm. add that to my list of books. We actually um, – see, I like – I'm not much of a reader myself, if I'm going to be honest with you, but I like the books where it goes outside of the norm, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, we have a friend that we talked to recently, yeah. uh, Jacob Kornhauser, who he wrote his first book, I think, a year or two ago called The, the Cup of Coffee Club. Um, mm -hmm. And he interviewed, I don't know, however many, 30-something. Eleven players 11, he inter okay. interviewed. Um, and it's funny you bring that up, Ty, because it says customers who viewed Wits, Flakes, and Clowns also viewed... The Cup of Coffee Club by Jacob Kornhauser. Oh, wow. And I read that book. I just finished it this summer. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we went yeah. to high school with him. Good friend of yeah, ours. Yeah, that was, uh, that was yeah. the f first author, baseball author that we had on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I like a book like that where it's, it's you know, a little it's different. It's yeah, something I mean, completely different. Totally different outside yeah. of the norm. And that's what I'm looking mm -hmm. for. So, Wits, Flakes, and Clowns. I'm going to have to add this one to the list here. That oh, one yeah. and the Bill Mazeroski one. And probably the same usual one, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, so um, is that your current project you're working on, um, then? Is you got a new book coming out? Well, I'm pitching a couple of ideas. One would be a sequel to The Wits, Flakes, and Clowns. That focused on primarily uh, players. And this one would cover everything from managers, coaches, the members of the media who are colorful, Bob Prince. There's a big chapter in there or a section on him. Uh, owners like uh, Bill Veck and colorful guys like fin Finley uh, and Steinbrenner. So if it's, uh, if it's a successful pitch, that would be my next project. Okay. Awesome. And yeah. I, I do anticipate reading um, Wits, Flakes, and Clowns, but, you know, you said it's a diff bunch of different colorful characters of baseball, and I don't want you to give anything away, but I have to imagine Doc Ellis is in that book. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember if I did use them or not, because most of these guys, the, the, the common denominator is, uh, is humor and just wild, crazy antics. And to me, he was a little bit, you know, with the LSD thing off the wall. So I did consider him. I am honestly 
not able to recall right now if I used him or he, if he didn't make the final cut. But yeah, he was colorful, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I could just see the uh, the hair curls in his hair yeah. during warmups. So yep, that brings up a good question. I feel like you know, in recent years, specifically the whole Doc Ellis no hitter thing, uh, there's a little controversy around it. You know, debating whether or not he actually was on LSD at the mm-hmm. time of that no hitter. I mean. Do you swing one way or the other on that spectrum, Wayne? Do you think he was on it, or do you think it's all a bunch of BS? I really don't have a solid opinion because I'm not that science, you know, don't have a scientific bent as far as is it even possible under that, uh, <laughs> that under the influence of that drug. But you know, my only comment would be, knowing him, if it's possible, nah, I certainly wouldn't doubt it. You know, if <laughs> he'd be the guy to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's crazy to think because, like, you. Why would you lie about that? You know, like it's not like yeah, you know, it's not like he he got paid more or there's any yeah. I mean, I guess you could always just say you did an LSD, but I don't know, man. Like yeah, I, you don't get anything out of saying, oh yeah, no, all those hit batters and walks were because I was on acid. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. That's uh, just that's one of my most. I I love that story. I watch that documentary all the time. Yeah, all it's time. it's a great story. That's for sure. If I can go back in time, I would go back just to watch Pirates baseball when they were good. Right. And that's No, seriously. Yeah, I literally. mean, well that's something we missed growing up in the generation we did. I mean, we're younger, so Being, we haven't seen Yeah. It. Wayne, uh mm-hmm. the three of us were born within uh, 93, 94. So, I think there's right. been what like two winning seasons since we were born. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? Because what a proud heritage! What a what a long history the the, the franchise has had. Yeah, it's it's sad. Yeah, it's the franchise has a beautiful history, and I mean that's mm. why the three of us are doing a podcast, you know, on Pittsburgh mm. sports. Because even if the teams aren't shining bright now, man, mm-hmm. the history is incredible. More than a lot of franchises can say. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you know. We just mentioned how the Pirates haven't been good in so long. Uh, Wayne, I would like to get your opinion as well. I mean, recent years, no success on the baseball field for the Pirates. What is, you know, what is it? Are they missing some pieces or is it management? I'm, I'm not really sure which mm-hmm. direction to point as far as why we're not winning games recently. Yeah, I really can't explain it. I mean, on one hand, I hate the disparity that's existed for years and years in baseball where the Yankees can afford to make mistakes and they don't care. They'll just uh, write another check where they can go out and, uh, you know, sign up these free agents. It always astonishes me. You'll see a guy have a good World Series and he's in the spotlight. Uh, I'm thinking Pablo Sandoval. And then suddenly, oh, he's the big item now. We've got to have him and somebody will go out and sign him and and the guy, you know, in, in many cases flops. I remember the Yankees doing that, and sometimes they click, sometimes they don't. But again, these these franchises that can spend a fortune have such an advantage over the small market. So that irritates me, and that's got to be part of the reason the Pirates. But, you know, how, how do you explain decades and decades of, you know, what'd they go? Was it 22 years without a winning record? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, it was <laughs> 22 <so>. years. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know how you explain that, except... When, that, when something like that seems to go on so long, as it did with the Chicago Cubs, for, you know, miserable in the 40s and whatever, I've got to look at front office, yeah. Yeah, front office. That's what, yeah, that's what everyone seems to be pointing to, and they made a bunch of uh, offseason moves. And, and, well, when you think about all the prospects and players we've traded away, and then we see them 
thrive another market <laughs> there's so like, many ex-pirates in the playoffs right now <laughs> yeah like you you have to think to yourself a little bit like you know what it might be us yeah yeah maybe it is but and you, i was just gonna say you you remember when the the pirates or you know you've read about that era where they had and it started with i think bonds Benilla, even drabeck and that was the killer bees yeah and then they're gone you know yeah yeah i mean and Michael, you said, you know, look at all these ex-Pirates players in the playoffs right now. Um, mm-hmm. And going back to the small market thing, I mean, a lot of them on small market teams. I mean, the, the Marlins and the, the Marlins Rays. and the Rays are prime examples of that this yeah. year. Small market teams who are great clubs and they make the playoffs and they make a push. I mean, I would have never in a million years thought that the Marlins this year would sweep the Cubs yeah. out of the playoffs. Are you serious? <laughs> Just yeah, reminds me of all the game this year. Yeah, dude. Mm. Corey Dickerson, Marte, Matt Joyce. All on that squad, all ex-pirates. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of them. Maybe, I don't know, maybe one day our day is coming. Our farm system, we've talked, Wayne, a lot recently. The three of mm-hmm. us power farm system is supposed to be up and coming. I mean, we see it with Brian Hayes, moved him up recently, who already, you know, possible candidate for rookie of the year. I don't know if he's he eligible it. or so, not, but, I mean, our farm system players are great. When do, we, when do you think we'll start seeing them come up and make a push to rebuild? That's a great question. I, I remember the Oakland A's had all those uh, great pitchers, mm-hmm. but they knew that with the limited uh, finance, they were going to have these guys for a short period of time. I mean, that's that's still – I'm thinking way back when they had Zito and those guys, but it's yeah. happened again recently. Uh, so there's no telling that you could enjoy a, an upswing and then lose some of these guys. That's a sad prospect, uh, and it gets back to that disparity in the in the big big market versus small market. So I'm I'm not really sure. <sighs> yeah. It seems that they've been rebuilding since we were born. Well, yeah. it seems that they rebuild to a point where they're on the cusp of being good and then mm-hmm. they they don't Yeah, they don't have the funds it's to pay the players. To, I think it's happened 3 times in our lifetime where I've seen the Pirates dump their entire starting nine. Like and just thinking back to Jack Wilson era and mm-hmm. Rob Mikowiak and Craig Wilson and Jason Kendall and Aram, it all started with Aramis Ramirez. Like yeah, nice ties rocking a Jason Kendall jersey. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Yes, I am. The Jason Kendall jersey. But yeah, I mean, you you would hope that at some point, you know, I, like we said, it was maybe management's problem. At one point, you got to hope that they just realize, okay, whatever we're doing is not working. But it comes down to they're getting paid a lot of money, so they don't really care, it seems. Yeah, but they're also... I remember... It wasn't. It was maybe a handful of years ago where the Marlins and the Pirates both got grievances filed against them from the MLB for not sharing or not spending their profit share money on new facilities or um, scouting or anything. Like, so yeah, you're a small market team and you're just not even spending the money that you have. Right. Go do. Go make a move. Bring a fucking World Series back to Pittsburgh. <sighs> The city would burn down, I bet. Bring it to PNC. When what was the stadium when they won it last? Was it that? Was it Forbes or Three Rivers, Wayne? Well, Forbes was 1960, and uh, Forbes closed in what 71, I think it was. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. So the Baltimore <laughs> World Series, yeah, that was uh, Three Rivers, yeah. Which uh, which one of those? You know, Forbes, Three Rivers, PNC. Which one's your favorite of those three? If you had to pick, I think. 
Yeah, I think you're always going to go back to your youth, and I did get to go to Forbes Field as a kid. That's uh, so awesome. You know, yeah, you know, it was. I thought it was beautiful, and then as an adult, you read that. Well, by the time they were ready to tear it down, it was. It had had its days, and you know, maybe the the guts of the ballpark were deteriorating or what have you. But you know, um, I can remember the first time going to the ballpark when I was about seven. And you leave the outdoors, you walk into the indoors, now you're in a concourse, and then you first emerge up the tunnel, and you just see that field, and you're just in awe, you know. I can so, see it right now. That was, yeah. Yeah. That's but, amazing. You know, and Three Rivers was ugly, let's face it. You know, cookie cutter <laughs> air was terrible. PNC is beautiful. I, uh, I've i gone to like 30-some parks in my life, and PNC, and it's not because I'm, you know, Pittsburgh-born guy, but that and Camden are the two best parks I've ever seen. And uh, I give the edge to, to PNC. Uh, uh, well, it's a toss-up. <laughs> Both beautiful, PNC right? Beautiful. And, uh, Cam- yeah. Camden Yards, that's one I haven't been to, and it, I would like to. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. I think, uh, I think the consensus around you know baseball fans who have been to multiple stadiums like that is that PNC is probably the most beautiful stadium. I've heard it. Multiple times, we're we live in Chicago land area actually, mm. but uh, so all of our Cubs fans or Cubs fan friends, you know, who have been there, they're like, oh yeah, it's it's the most beautiful mm-hmm. ballpark you'll go to. Even when it's, games, like where my parents, someone will be like, hey, I've been to PNC Park. It's such a beautiful place, man. Like such a sick stadium. Like people I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that uh, I I was able to go to Wrigley when before the changes. And after, and the only minor negative about Wrigley, the why it's not maybe my number one park, is because the exterior is not gorgeous. But uh, when you get to, like I say, Camden and, and PNC, that's it's, it's the total package. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My only issue, well, I got two issues with uh, Wrigley, is <laughs> peeing in a trough. Yeah, not fun. <laughs> I, I'm not a pig. <laughs> and yeah. two, unless you've got the money to buy tickets up yeah. on the field you're screwed because if you're sitting back under the under the decks there's pillars all over the place holding the stadium up so if you got screwed with a ticket behind a pillar you're lit- you can't see a dang thing yeah yeah and you know those old parks are like that forbes had their pillars yeah as well so yeah you're absolutely right Forbes also had the lights, uh, the stadium lights in the outfield on the inside of the uh, the wall. What did you think of that? Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine seeing that in 2020? I remember going to a ball game, and uh, I think it was Joe Torre hit a ball so deep that it was out there near the lights, like you're saying. And you know, you never see anything like that today. And uh, Matty Alou or Moda caught the ball with his back slightly curved against the batting cage, which was stored in in play as well. No that was uh, that was crazy. I asked oh. Bill Verdon, the center fielder of the '60 Pirates. I asked him if you know that uh, the cage, for example, or the, like you're saying, the obstacle with the uh, they had like a cage around the uh, the light towers, if it was ever a factor. He said, "Not really, but you know, you had to know it was there. That was crazy, and of course, no padding on the walls. You know, mm. that's <laughs> just a, a brick factor. wall. <laughs> yeah, with the ivy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you if you recall at any time in your watching career uh, if any outfielder had collided or ran into those lights up against the wall don't think so i remember there was a player for the Dodger, brooklyn dodgers pete reeser and uh, he used to slam into the cement walls and brick walls around the national league like 
I don't know, two, three, four times, and they say it curtailed his career. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously nowadays we're more conscious of that than protect the players with the padding and what have you. But it's just so strange. Like, um, what was it? Um, I think, the yeah, there was a flagpole in dead center, I believe it was, Tiger Stadium. So there have been the monuments. You know, Yankee Stadium had the monuments on the field at one time. A lot of crazy stuff. Yeah, I even uh, just hearing you speak about that, it just makes me think of uh, Clemente at one point uh, in a away game at Wrigley Field. Wasn't there a ball tailing into the right field corner and he went and made a diving catch slamming into the brick wall? Yeah, I think that's a famous play. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. But what a right fielder he was, huh? Yeah, that man had no fear. No kidding. I mean, there's a reason that they have a Roberto Clemente day in the MLB. I mean, the man was one of a kind. We need to retire 21. Right. Right. I'm with you. Um, Something I'd like to ask, you know, baseball fans that we have on the podcast, Wayne, um, this, especially, you know, this, our generation of the DH, um, would you rather see all teams switch to having a DH or all teams letting their pitchers hit? Which way do you swing on that? I'm uh, I'm very old school. You know, like I said, I've been watching baseball since 60. Uh, well, actually, 58, so it goes so far back. I'm a purist. I, I don't like change as a rule. People tend to not like change. So, no, I don't like the DH, never did. I mean, I see its merit, but uh, I don't like it. I don't like, uh, you know, a lot of these things, you know, uh, the, the guy on second base, the automatic runner, uh, you know, seven inning. Just, I, I guess I love stats so much. That's one of the things I love about baseball, that records are tarnished and things aren't the same. Uh, when you start, uh, you know, like, it's not a big deal. Nobody's going to break Hack Wilson's record for RBIs, but uh, how many cheap RBIs does a guy get because the guy's on second base if we do that from here here on out? So, no, to answer your question, I've never liked a DH. I love that, Wayne, (laughs) because we would like to consider ourselves as well um, baseball traditionalists. Mm -hmm. We do not like the new implemented pitch clock. We don't like the man on second base. We don't like Mm -hmm. the seven inning double headers. Replays. Replay. It's like it literally is taking everything away from the history of baseball. Right. The records. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, the guy that killed me was Bud Selig because he (laughs) touted the fact that he was a purist. He was a traditionalist. He loved the game of baseball. And so many changes, which I, I detested, came under his watch. Uh, you know, uh, the wild card, I can't, I can't stand that. I mean, if Houston wins the World Series this year, we're going to have what baseball deserves as far as, you know, you brought it upon yourself, a team below 500 winning the World Series. Um, you know, Selig did so many of those things. He wouldn't, uh, you know, talk about your love of statistics and records, he wouldn't put an asterisk next to Bonds or investigate. He knew early on Bonds was doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, so, no, I'm, I'm definitely a purist like you guys. Yeah, and, you know, when I don't know, maybe it's just me. When you think baseball, you think, like, history, like historical mm-hmm. baseball. It's such a historic game almost in comparison to all the ma- other major sports, in my mind anyway. maybe that's <laughs> just, America's pastime. Yeah, maybe. America's pastime, right. And then you go ahead and you make all these changes like that, and it's, like you said, it's just tarnishing the history of baseball, I think. Um, I mean, me as much as anyone else in the world, I love seeing somebody hit a ball 500 feet, sure. And you know the but DH if he could spot, also strike someone out. Yeah, the DH spot's great for that. But like we always say, if you're on the field, if you're in the starting nine, 
you should hit for yourself. And if mm-hmm. you're no good at hitting, you should practice hitting. I mean, how how difficult would it be for pitchers to just take 30 minutes of BP every day? Not that difficult. <laughs> or an hour right. a week. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's well, insane. So some, yeah, I agree. Some of the players I've talked to have said it's like the, the big shots, the commissioners don't have faith in the game itself, so they have to fancy it up or – or come up with gimmicks like the DH and uh, and the wild card, and you know because well, let's face it, baseball was the national pastime, and it it's lost that status. So I guess maybe these guys feel pressure to uh, to change the game and and bring fans into it. But uh, I don't know. I just I don't know. The only criticism I can see is yes, I mean it's it's not a perfect game, but you know the. Uh, the, the games that go on for four and a half hours, that's kind of excessive. But, uh, again, most players will tell you, just leave the game alone and it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite part about baseball. Um, growing up was every other sport, there's a time limit or a right. shot clock or quarters or periods. Baseball, each team gets a shot at winning each inning, Right. Like there's mm-hmm. no time clock. There's no, it's whoever wins wins. And if it takes 16 innings, then so be it. You got to get ready for tomorrow's game. Like not going to end in a tie, you know? And yes. Yeah. And it, oh man. Yeah. It blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of frustrating. Definitely. I mean, and going back to the, the pitchers not hitting thing, I mean, Wayne, I'm sure you, you know, compared to us can attest even more. How many people have you seen? pitchers who in college and in their high school careers were the best hitter on their team, but they make it to the major leagues and then they don't get to hit anymore. I mean, you you might be taking the bat out of somebody who could hit 300. Well, yeah. And you know, like the, the brave series against the reds, uh, they had multiple chances to score runs, but I didn't see one sacrifice. I didn't see one hit and run. I think there was one stolen base attempt. So we've relied on, you know, slugging so much that uh, you don't see things like that. And to me, baseball should be more than the home runs, the walks, and the strikeouts. Uh, it's just, I don't know, that's that's something that irritates me as well. Um, and we can and, see and that. Can, what's that? Like the game has changed so far from when we played baseball to now, which isn't that long ago. Like I was watching the White Sox A's. There's a man on first and second. Eloy Jimenez is up. Yeah, he could probably hit one out of the park, but there's no outs. You're down two runs. You drop a bunt, move the runners over into scoring position, and then the next base hit's going to score them both. Mm-hmm. Instead, he flew out and didn't even advance the runners. Like, it's right. bad baseball. Right. right. And <clears throat> there's – Literally nothing I love more in baseball than seeing in the MLB. Uh, oh, what's the word? A suicide squeeze bunt. Mm-hmm. They're very few and far between nowadays. Oh, right. And when you see one, it's just like, that's baseball. That's the small ball I want to see in a situation like that. It brings you back to your playing days. It's nostalgic. Baseball is uh, it's strategic. It's like a game of chess. Game of inches. I have my- yeah, I asked Mike Hargrove, so this goes back a while when he had the good Indians team, uh, why we don't see the uh, squeeze, be it safety or suicide. And he said even with a guy like, uh, oh, I think maybe Omar Vizquel or somebody, not a big hitter, uh, he would not probably put on a squeeze because there's just as much chance for a sack fly. But uh, when you see those things, that, when you see a pitcher 
uh, you know, come up like Madison Baumgartner and hit a home run or a double or, or something. Or when you see the suicide squeeze, that's the variety and the beauty of baseball, not just let's swing for the fences. And that's what they're, I've always said that baseball has and harnesses the best athletes because they can do everything. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's like, ah, oh, mate, it makes it, me so I mean, mad. arguably, I'd, I'd agree with the statement that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in any sport. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Especially today. Yeah. Because you're seeing 102 mile per hour tailing two seam fastballs followed up by an 86 mile per hour slider that's dropping off the plate. Yeah. It's it's impossible to hit. But I wanted to say, especially us growing up, I'm sure Wayne could attest to this. You know, we hear the name Babe Ruth. He was one of, as far as I was told and learned, he's the GOAT, right? And he pitched and hit. Yeah. Right. Like, that shouldn't we be going towards that? Don't you want like show he or show high uh Onti or who's that guy in the Angels? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. That's who we're looking for. Right. You don't have to waste arms. You can bring a guy in from center field to throw an up at a batter, whatever. And he can also drop a bunt, hit one out, whatever. Yeah, you don't you don't have to yeah. tell Wayne about Babe Ruth. You wrote a whole biography on him. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, you're absolutely right as far as, like, it's an age of specialization as far as we tend to, to take a kid out of whatever high school and then to just put him in one slot. But, oh, you know, Ruth obviously was exciting because he wasn't just a pitcher. He was superb. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, one, one of few. I mean, you don't see players like that anymore, so. Right. And he did it on beers and hot dogs, <laughs> Yes. No, no steroids needed at all. Um, um, Wayne, I did just see that I'm pretty sure Babe Ruth calling a shot. It was his anniversary, like the, with the like, yesterday or two days ago. Mm-hmm. Do you think he called a shot? No, I I had my doubts before from you know books I've read and uh, guys. Charlie Root gave up the home run. He said I would have stuck it in his ear if he had pointed the you know, <laughs> that direction. No, that's exactly the, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, but the thing that convinced me was I saw that film footage. And to me, there's no way he's pointing to dead center. Absolutely no, it looks not. like he's pointing to left to me. Yeah. Like he's pointing at the shortstop or something, like talking shit. I don't think that he was, like, calling a shot. Yeah, I've heard that he was pointing to the dugout, but I, I think it looks a little bit more toward the field. But whatever, he's not pointing to the center mm. field. Yeah, there's no bad. way. It's, it's a good story, but <laughs> yeah, I story. I don't believe it. Um, so that's a nice well, I, did a, I, did a, I did a biography of Ruth, too, and, uh, you know, the one thing that you hear is that Ruth, like the next day, it's not in the papers. He never said, yep, how about what I just did? And he liked to brag. He didn't say it until whatever later uh, that he sort of like said, hmm, I'll go along with this legend. Why not? Huh. Why not? Right? <laughs> so it's so it's the media putting stuff out there. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just roll with it. So yeah, he's like, the media was, <laughs> Yeah, the media was infamous for doing stuff like that, you know, building up legends and telling us that Mickey Mantle was a a perfect gentleman and what have you. No, they perpetuate things. <laughs> so what I'm getting from this is baseball has changed uh, in our generations, but the media has not. Yes, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, I, I would love to get your take real quick on, as far as the Hall of Fame goes, um, being a baseball traditionalist and a baseball purist, um, we agreed that we were kind of under that category as well, but I think all three of us, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I'm pretty sure I can um, agree that Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. 
Um, I'm going to further it. It's Pete and Barry. Pete and Barry. Okay. Um, so what do you, what's your take on players like Pete and Barry, you know, the steroid users or the gamblers uh, of, of the MLB? Just having an asterisk. Yeah. Is, do, you, do they belong in the Hall of Fame in your eyes? Well, and how do you think of them as players? Yeah, start. Uh, there's there's no way in theory that the all time hit king isn't you know deserving of Hall of Fame status, but I think we look at these cases a little little differently. Like for for Rose, I think the thing is, if there's a rule on the books that says he can't go in because of this this and this, then he doesn't go in my mind. But there's no you know baseball. The Hall of Fame has changed its rules a lot. I just read something about that. I had no idea they used to go with this system and this percentage or whatever. Uh, if a rule isn't right, let's change it. So that thing about players not getting in because of their moral character or whatever, uh, that perhaps needs to be changed. I mean, Babe Ruth was not the, an angel. <laughs> so uh, in Rose's case, I think change the rule, get rid of that moral character stuff, and then he belongs in. Uh, now, I know you guys are probably more in love with the Pirates than I am now because I've moved away and, you know, but uh, I, I can't forgive the stuff that Bonds and those guys did. Um, it, it's like out here now I live in the Cleveland area. When Albert Bell was with the Indians, he's a despicable person by and large. I would hear fans sitting next or near me saying, oh, he's my man and all this stuff. He left, and I happened to be there the night he came back with the White Sox, and they were vilifying him, tearing apart. And I thought, you know, it's one of those things like maybe – Maybe Pittsburghers can forgive Bonds, but do you forgive McGuire? Do you forgive Sosa, Ramirez? Uh, so, no, I, I put them in the same boat. And, uh, you know, again, being a purist, he, Bonds, for example, tampered with records that, you know, talk about Rose having the all-time hit record. Well, Aaron had the, another cherished record. So, no, I, I, I can't go along with the, the guys who blatantly cheated like that. As far as Shoeless Joe, the only thing there is his ignorance. I mean, he was illiterate. So I, I, that's a tough one. Yeah, right. As far as Barry Bonds' career with the Pirates, what did you think of him as a player on the field for the Pirates? Oh, there's no doubt. You know, uh, pe- people say that if he continued at the same pace and didn't uh, do steroids or whatever, he would have probably still been a Hall of Famer. Very versatile. I mean, how many guys can do uh, 30-30 club and uh, the, the tools that he had? uh yeah, I mean you can't you can't diminish that stuff. I just the other stuff bothers me. I've talked to taxi drivers in Pittsburgh and so on about Bonds as a person, so that's a totally different picture. And did you guys ever hear that story about right before Francisco Cabrera's batting, uh Andy Van Slyke tells Bonds to move in and he swore Van Slyke like mind your own business? No. Boy, no. History, history. no. I mean if that's if that's the case, maybe the history of the game at least that, that year changes, you know. So that kind of bothers me too, the oh. arrogance. No, yeah. and I mean, I can't, I don't, I haven't seen it firsthand or read really anything about that, but that would really piss me off too. And that's specifically mm. why I asked the question of him on the field as a player, right. you know, because especially today, it's so hard to invest in a player on and off the field because you don't know these people, you know? Like mm-hmm. I can buy a jersey of uh, Mike Trout and think he's the greatest guy ever, but I don't know him. You know, right. like there's right. so many things that happen on and off the field where I kind of just try to invest in them as players and mm-hmm. athletes because their personal life should not concern me. 
Right. Right. You know? And don't forget the, the mobility with the free agency. You can love a guy today and he's gone tomorrow. That's uh, sad. That's why, you know, uh, being an old timer, I used to love the fact that you knew every year you could pencil certain guys in the number two hole for the St. Louis Cardinals or the Pirates always had, you know, uh, Clemente in the three hole or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy. <clears throat> um. So, listen, we're coming up on 40 minutes here. We don't want to take up too much of your time. Something – oh, go ahead, Michael. I I just – I was going to ask. I had one question that I wanted to ask. Um, who's your all-time favorite pirate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. I I, I know it's tough. <laughs> There's a lot. You've co- yeah. It seems like you've covered and spoke with a lot of top-tier or uh, high – top name athletes um but if you could pinpoint maybe just one or two and why that'd be awesome yeah i i always liked certain players just for their their style of play like andy vance like so i liked him when he was in pittsburgh and then when i interviewed him when he was coaching for the tigers and he was so helpful and funny that he kind of moved up a notch or two just because of that um as a kid i guess you couldn't help but admire clemente's he was fun to watch so he would have to be on that list uh, Dick Grote, when I wrote the book, uh, put a plug in for the title, 1960, and then there's a colon, uh, the, when the Pittsburgh Pirates had them all the way. Dick Grote and Vernon Law were so helpful that they would have to go on that list as well. And I kind of like Neil Walker. I like his, his style. Uh, so a guy doesn't have to be the greatest player in the world. Uh, you know, growing up, Hank Aaron was actually my favorite player. But if a guy's gutsy sticks in there or, you know, overachieves or whatever, uh, for whatever reason, I guess a guy can be your favorite. Did you guys have favorites growing up then, I guess? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think we all put a smile on our face when you said Neil Walker. Because, yeah, that's the Pittsburgh kid, man. He was awesome. He gave it his all every time. And mm-hmm. um, I literally – there's nothing bad that I could say about him. And him going to the New York Mets after the Pirates, yeah. it's like, yeah, I – shit, I might watch a Mets game yeah. just for Neil Walker. Yeah. Right. And, well, Michael, like, I'm sure you – Oh, go ahead, Alex. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, uh, like, I went to spring training this year, and the Pirates played uh, the Phillies, and Neil Walker, every time he walked up, was basically getting a standing ovation, you, well, yeah. you know, from the home crowd every time. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought that was, like, one of the coolest things. And because my fiance was like, why are they applauding him? I was like, he's a Pittsburgh kid. He's like, <laughs> you don't get it. He's the Pittsburgh kid. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Pirates. I was like, it's just there's so much love for this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as far as our favorite players of the Pirates go, I'm sure Michael has you know a handful. Um, Alex, maybe you do too. Uh, Michael has been a Pittsburgh fan his whole life. Um, Alex and myself are kind of newer in the past, like I don't know, eight to ten years. You know, Pittsburgh yeah. fans. Michael being friends with him, he just kind of turned yeah. us on to Pittsburgh sports. So I got I, all my friends to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up a White Sox fan, uh, so mm. I could tell you all my favorite White Sox players. But as far as the Pirates go, I mean, since I've been watching, I'm a McCutcheon guy just because I like yeah. the speedsters. I like the, the guys with the speed, mm. the outfielders. So. And the heart. The McCutcheon heart, was yeah. just an all around yeah. phenomenal human it, being. Everyone loves that guy. Yeah. And then what, what, uh, what of mine was that? Was always uh, Michael and I used to talk about him all the time. Pedro Alvarez. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's a huge Pedro Alvarez fan. Pedro Alvarez at Vanderbilt was so nasty, and yeah. then the Pirates got him. And I mean, he either struck out or hit a homer, but yeah. <laughs> he was fun to watch. Yeah, El Toro, man. Yeah, El Toro. 
Michael, who's know. your favorite? Let's if I had it. to, if I had to say who my f- all favorite pirate of all time, um, again, I didn't get to see him, but just doing all of the research and reading and everything, I, I mean, I have it'd be stupid for me to not put Clemente number one. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, again, it's it's tough because I didn't get to watch him play, but he's like but, a superhero. Really? Sure. Was John John Warner was a part of a Pittsburgh kid? What's that? Did did uh, Warner grow up around Pittsburgh? Neil Walker, what? yeah. No, no, no. John, uh, what was his name? Warner W E H N E R. Or am I missing somebody here? John. No, Warner. never mind. I'm thinking of some obscure player. Ah, that's okay. Let's let's move on. <laughs> that's all right. We we could Google it quick. Michael's pretty yeah, quick on the Google there. Yeah. Finding um, on John Warner. I thought that was it. W maybe W E H N E R. John Warner Pirates. Let's see here. Oh yeah, quick with it there. You're good. Um, while he's searching for that, um, Wayne, I I can only imagine your wealth of Pirates baseball knowledge, um, and how well you can do in some trivia. I mentioned before we started, we have some trivia questions lined up. Um, shout out to Michael. He got this. Uh, trivia set. It's called "You Got to Know Pittsburgh Sports Trivia Game." Um, so we've been shout out some... to Shop Steel City for that. Yes, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we've been doing some trivia at the end of each podcast here. So if you don't mind, I got a few questions here. They go easier to harder. Um, but, and if you're up for it, we'll see how many you can get right here. All right. Um... Well, I, I got to apologize ahead of time. Now, having moved to Cleveland many years ago, if it's a question from more more recent years, I may disappoint you, but. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll try. I love trivia. It's all fun. right, and that's all right. I mean, Michael used to ask us these, and me and Alex have we can never answer a single one. We just, yeah, we don't know any of them. So I mean, you can you can only do better than us. So that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> so I found a little Google search here. Uh, are we talking about Paul Warner or Lloyd Warner? No, not those guys. I, I probably have it mixed up with some guy at a cup of coffee or something. That's okay. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. Okay. Let's try some trivia here. Um, again, they go easier to harder. Um, first easier one. To more difficult. Yes. Uh, in 2000, what Pirates catcher became the first Pirate to hit for the cycle in Three River Stadium? Ish. And this is surprising to me. I was unaware of this. I'm wearing the jersey right now. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't know that he played at Three Rivers. Yeah, I guess. When did PNC, when did it go to PNC? I, I thought PNC went up in like 04. Okay, yeah. So it's Jason Kendall is the answer to that. Again, that's a little more recent. PNC went up in 01, sorry. Okay, 01. Um, what AL team did the Pirates defeat to win the 1979 World Series? Oh, that was the Orioles. Yes, it was. All right. Bringing back Camden Yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you yeah. go. Okay. Uh, what AL team did the Pirates defeat to win the 1960 World Series? Well, I better know that. Huh? The, much of the book is about that. So the mighty <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, you, you guys remember or read that they actually scored more than double the runs of the Pirates? And uh, I have one thing in front of me. They their on base percentage on base plus slugging was slugging was nine eleven, 
and the Pirates was six fifty six. What? What? How do you win? Pirates, a series? How do you win a series that way? <laughs> yep, amazing. Wow. Well, you know the the three the three victories the Yankees had sixteen to three, ten nothing, twelve nothing. Oh, that sounds like the Pirates playing the Yankees today. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah, and the the Pirates wins were oh six to four, three to two, five to two. This I'm and then gonna, a slugfest in the in and the then ten game. nine. That's insane. Yep. Well, the uh, irony is the Pirates win on a weapon. Uh, a home run, which is the, uh, the the hallmark of the Yankees, and they do it with a guy who had what Mazeroski, I think, had eleven home runs all year. Yeah, and then he has he has two in the World Series, actually. So crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, because he was not a power hitter by he any hit means. A tenth of all of his home runs in the World Series. How about that? <laughs> wow, crazy. Dude, what a stat. Um, okay, I, there's two on this card here. Uh, starting in 1999, what Pirates outfielder hit? 35 or more home runs in four consecutive seasons. Starting in 99. Boy, I don't know. Ramirez, no. Um, this this is surprising to me as well. I would have never guessed this. Jason, Jason Bay didn't have that kind of power. Probably missing somebody obvious, huh? Brian Giles. That's my guy. I love Brian Giles. <laughs> he came he from had, Cleveland, yeah. He had 30 homers in how many straight years? Uh, four, four, 35 in four consecutive seasons. How about that? Bro, wow. it, after that fourth season, I'm sure that's when they shipped him off to San Diego. <laughs> yeah. um, Michael, you just mentioned this guy's name. Uh, what Pirates outfielder, three-time NL batting champ, and 1927 NL MVP combined with his brother Lloyd to tally over 5,600 MLB hits, Paul Wayner. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I got I got to throw this one out there because it refers to Bill Mazeroski. Mazeroski, what Yankee pitcher surrendered Bill's World Series winning home run in 1960? Well, he's in the book. I was actually able to talk to two two Yankees, Bobby Richardson, who won the MVP instead of Maz, and uh, Ralph Terry. Ralph Terry, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> that, wait, so that's pretty much unheard of, really. Um, when your team loses, but you still win the MVP of the series. Yeah, uh, I talked to Elroy Face, who said he actually thought he deserved it because he had three saves, first got to do that in the series, and he was on route to have the victory in Game 7 until the Pirates gave up a bunch of runs to the Yankees. And um, Richardson said that he believes the only the reason that he's the only man ever to be on a losing team to win the uh, MVP is because they tallied the votes before Maz hits the homer in the bottom of the ninth. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's wild. So uh, so if they tallied the votes after the game, do you think Bill gets that MVP? Yeah, I mean, like I think he had the game-winning home run in game one, maybe. So he didn't just contribute the, the home run in game seven. But when I did the research for this book about the 1960 Pirates, there were tons of astonishing things, like um, Game Seven's the only postseason game ever to have no strikeouts. I mean, there's just lots of good stuff in this book. No strikeouts. Do you think that's because the hitting was just ridiculously good or the pitching was rid- not as competitive? Well, I think it wasn't that the hitting wasn't good because, again, the, the, the Yankees hit uh, 338. Uh, Pirates at 256. I have it in front of me, and you know it's it's just an anomaly because 
you you can't say it's an error like the dead ball error where where people weren't striking out. It was just one of those things that happened. Of course, that particular day, the guys did have their you know hitting spikes on because of all the runs scored. But it's just a I think a weird weird coincidence, or whatever. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting to talk about and just see the stats and hear about it because again, we're our generations are a little newer than yours and uh it's just comparing the games is wild yeah i think it's i think it's in my opinion it's the wildest certainly the most lopsided world series ever the stats are just uh, incredible you know they out hit the pirates 10 to 4 uh, out homered i should say out homered the pirates and uh, just all these stats and everything and yet well there was a great line one of the pirates said they set all the records and we won the money or won the game you know and uh <laughs> That summed it up. They can take all those records and yeah. put them on a shelf in the winter because the Pirates go home with a ring. There you Literally. go. Yeah, the Pirates hit 256 during that World Series, and the Yankees hit 338. I mean, I'm wow. not a math, I'm not a math or numbers guy, but I know that uh, the <laughs> Yankees probably should have won the World Series based on that. <laughs> you know, one of the guys, yeah, one of the a uh, couple of guys I spoke to said the one nice thing about getting blown out is they didn't go home at night and say if I had only done this. If we had tried this, uh, and Danny Murtaugh was a very easygoing manager, he told the players virtually nothing. Like, yeah, we lost. Let's go get them today, and they did. Took <laughs> took four games. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay. I mean, just to get, just to give Ty and Alex a little background, this 1960 Yankees team had Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra. Literally like, three of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah. And well, they had, uh, they Whitey, had Whitey Ford. Ford. Yeah. And you know what? Casey, uh, Vernon Law, like I said, Cy Young winner that year, he made no qualms about it. He said that uh, the Yankees didn't lose the World Series. Casey Stingle did. Casey Stingle holds his ace, Whitey Ford, back from game one, game two. And he doesn't throw him until game three, saying that he'd be better off throwing in Yankee Stadium. Well, guys like Bobby Richardson, Mickey Mantle were critical. Uh, Richardson told me that if uh, if he had thrown um, Whitey Ford in game one, he's going to throw three shutouts instead of the two that he did do. And that, again, would change the history of the game for that series. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Crazy, crazy. Um, okay, these questions are going to get a little harder here. A couple more. Um, mm-hmm. In 1972, the Pirates retired uniform number 20 in tribute to what third baseman who played his entire right, seven? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even need to finish the question. I love it. He's I like, love Ty, it. Ty, stop asking that's, the question. I know this. I know. Yeah, Pie Trainer. For, and for what it's worth, that's a heck of a name. Pie Trainer. Is it, <laughs> is it Pie or P-A? No, P-I-E. Pie. Yeah, which is which is foot in Spanish. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, used to, he used to own a sporting goods store downtown Pitts, uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think his first name was Harold, but everybody yeah. called him Pie. Yeah, Harold, Harold <laughs> Joseph Pie, trainer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Entire career, third base for the Pirates, introduced into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1948. Yeah. Now, as luck would have it, a couple, I think two out of the last three cards I have here are questions about the 1960 championship season so so ty yeah I alex, got, <laughs> alex and i are gonna sit back yeah um what pirates third baseman finished second in nl mvp voting in the 1960 championship season that was don hoke don hoke absolutely uh, okay 
Uh, this one you have to get right. We already mentioned uh, what shortstop won the 1960 NL batting title on his way to being named MVP as a member of the World yeah. Series team. Yeah, Dick Grote. He was the pit announcer for years for basketball until recently. Huh? Oh, really? Yeah, University of Pittsburgh, yep. Oh. I love that. Did not know that. Um, okay. Well, you know, he was an all, All-American at Duke, a fantastic basketball player as a kid. Yeah. At Duke, fact, nonetheless. He played, uh, yeah, he played uh, pro ball for, I think, one or two years with Detroit or Fort Wayne, yeah, way back when. That's wild. Two-sport wow. athlete. Look at that. Yeah, just purebred yeah, about The Bo Jackson of his day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, last question. In 1955, what Pirates pitcher became the first to lead the National League in ERA while playing for a last-place team? Was it Bob Friend? It was, in fact, Bob Friend. Yeah, oh, great. Th- that is great. But what I was – I did he was 0-2 in that 1960 World Series. Yeah, he didn't uh, do well. He he had, uh, I think, 59 was a bad season for him, and then he turned it around. But uh, when I interviewed Vernon Law, he said he really thought that the big stage got the friend. It's uh, hard to say whether that's 100% accurate or not, but he thought uh, the kind of you know pressure on him. And the other thing I, I did research, the very first article I ever wrote, I told you about for Baseball Digest, was partly inspired by Bob Friend because I was digging through – my baseball encyclopedia and i saw that there were some pitchers who had pretty pretty big names pretty big reputation old timers who had losing records lifetime and bob friend uh, although admired in pittsburgh and a good pitcher at times he actually been on pathetic teams in pittsburgh some years had a losing record lifetime really mm-hmm. i never would have guessed that hearing his name and how uh highly people speak of him yeah um, and that's funny that Vern Law would say that uh, maybe it got to Bob Friend because Vern Law, yeah, he was 2-0 in that uh, <laughs> 1960 series. Right. You know, do you have time for another story? Oh, yeah, hey, Wayne, Always. we've got <laughs> all <laughs> the time in time. the world. <laughs> okay. Because, it, you, you, you know, certain things trigger memories. Uh, and you, you mentioning uh, that uh, Vernon Law, you know, won the two games. He nearly won the third. He had the lead when he was taken out, but again, the Pirates blew it uh, that time. But uh, I, I thought this was another one of those little kind of trivia, interesting little things that my research dug up for the book about the Pirates. Vernon Law's nickname was the Deacon. And the Pirates had another Deacon back in the first World Series ever. Deacon, I think it's pronounced Philippi. And he won three games, like I said, in the World Series. Vernon Law, the Deacon, almost won three. But actor Ryan Philippi, he named his son Deacon because he's a distant relative of this former pirate from back in 1903. So a little, little trivia. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's insane. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Hey, get um, a hold of the book. You'll, you'll see a lot of <laughs> stuff like that. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean. Deacon Philippi or Felipe, whatever. 18- yeah, however he pronounces it. Philippi, born yeah, whatever. Born in 1872. Yeah. Oh, it was a good year. <laughs> MLB is MLB debuts for the Louisville Colonels in nineteen or eighteen ninety nine. That, that's pronounced Colonels. <laughs> no, it's Colonels. Really? Yeah, it's eighteen ninety nine. Huh. And his last MLB appearance was nineteen eleven for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think I read somewhere that Louisville had an agreement with the Pirates or the same owner. 
And I, I thought I heard that the Pirates stole players from some team, maybe Louisville, so they got that nickname, the Pirates. I believe there's something like that. That's awesome. Because <laughs> they were, weren't they originally named the Steelers, or weren't the Pirates, or weren't the Steelers originally named the Pirates? Oh, right, yeah. I think, yeah, I think the Steelers were the Pirates at one time, I believe. That's And he threw a no-hitter. Hey, speaking of no-hitters, two... Yo. Chicago players threw no hitters this year, which is pretty cool. I don't know if that's ever been done before. One cup, really, one socks. Really quick, Deacon Felipe or Felipe, whatever he played for the Pirates when Pittsburgh didn't have an H on the end of it. Oh, okay, <laughs> dude, that's so long ago. Where do I get a jersey that reads like that? That would be incredible. His card—it looks like a Hannes Wagner card. <laughs> probably worth a lot of money man probably i would love to come up with one of those yeah that'd be amazing um i, so, I mean if you guys i i'd like what are your thoughts on Hannes wagner wayne again yeah, that's only that's just, the only player i've only been able to read about i can't find any film on him but uh as far as i'm concerned yeah. he's one of the greatest shortstops of all time yeah, if, I mean, you look at what he did. Uh, he could slug at shortstop, which we know didn't happen again until guys like, what, Banks and, and Ripken and uh, A-Rod yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Stolen bases, I think he led the league at, what do you have, eight eight batting crowns, I think it was, and just a superb player. Um, but didn't I hear recently that, what, a Mike Trout card was more expensive than Honest now? Really? Or something like that. Really? Something like that. Oh, my, there's but, no way. That that Honest uh, T. 201 or whatever that card is that's it's over a million dollars how is a trout card selling for that i could be wrong at but i thought it was some gimmick like it was a limited edition or some crazy thing and again don't quote me it was like a little blurb in the paper oh yeah yeah Uh, i could have mixed it up like one of the maybe they were saying it was one of the comparable ones i think you're right wayne i just did a quick google search and uh on cbs sports mlb it says mike trout rookie card sells for a record 3.93 million at an auction and that and that tops the value of the t206 honest wagner card okay holy cow (laughs) it's crazy it's not even a 10 mint it's a 9.5 and you want to know what's even crazier than that is that if you ask 99% of the U.S. citizens that are baseball fans, not, I guess not baseball fans, but if you were to ask anybody on the street, you know, who is this guy on this card? They'd be like, I don't know, who's that? Nobody knows who Mike Trout is, and he's the best player in baseball currently. And that's the, problem the with, that's the problem with baseball is people don't know the biggest star, the best player, who he because is. Because he's on a sh- crap team. Small market team. And then the West Coast, West Coast hurts. Yeah. It's, it's Sometimes. ridiculous to me. I, actually, I, uh, I don't know wild. if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is. He's some kind of like, he's a, I don't know, mogul of sorts, but he's a big baseball guy. And he's, he, I just heard him say something today. It was like, that's why baseball is dying because your biggest player, nobody knows who the hell he is. Whereas, you know, basketball, everybody <laughs> knows who LeBron is. Well, yeah, it's like at the basketball NBA, LeBron goes to Cleveland, and next thing you know, every time you go out to the store, people are wearing Cleveland Cavalier jerseys. Like, yeah. there's no way. Nobody's wearing a Mike Trout Angels jersey. So the only way to get him to be the face of baseball is put him in pinstripes. <laughs> yeah. 
That's sad. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Wayne, oh, would yeah. you attest to that? Like, Oh, yeah. I absolutely agree with you. And I, that's why I dislike the Yankees so much, and they just gobble everybody up. You know, it's not enough to have Aaron Judge, and then they get uh, Giancarlo Stanton. That's not enough, so we go out and get – it drives me nuts. Garrett it's Cole. An, I, I, I hate <laughs> pirate. I, I hate the Yankees so much. I know, L- I know. Literally, I don't know why. Like, I've you always been a why? baseball fan, and I've – why? Yeah. It's a, it's a jealousy thing for me, I think. Dude, the the White Sox and the Pirates, both in our generations, have been relative, relatively bad teams. The Yankees, yeah, no, for our whole bad. life – I would say more like mediocre to yeah. like really shitty. For our whole lifetime, the Yankees have always been good, no matter yeah. what. They haven't won a World Series in 10 years, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's Neither good. of the Pirates. You know, the other thing... <laughs> yeah, I just... I, I don't know. I, I've read somewhere that it's a common human trait that just people don't like anything that they perceive as unfair. And for me, that's what it is with the Yankees. Like I said earlier, make a mistake. Oh, we don't care. We'll spend more money. Uh, look at the way Steinbrenner built his his team. And uh, it just, uh, you know, we want baseball to be played on an even surface, even level, you know, everybody's got a shot and they don't. The Yankees, uh, that irritates me. And uh, also, I mean, just speaking in sports in general, I feel like that's where baseball, it's the, baseball's the only sport that does that. Yeah. Right. The New York Knicks are the most valuable franchise in the NBA, but they're the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. Like, no. and, and they can't just go out and buy a player, mm-hmm. you know, so they're going to continue to be the New York Knicks and suck until they get a draft pick and hit on a good trade or a free agent. And, and same with football. It's like, yeah, you see money going all over the place, but that's just them re-signing players, not going out and buying players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so middle finger to the MLB for that. Yeah. You're ruining America's pastime. Uh, <laughs> but, hey, listen, Wayne, we'll, we'll let you go. We won't uh, keep you any longer. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. I mean, we've done – this is our 150th podcast. I think this is by far my favorite we have ever done. You are Hand, a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. yeah, and we so we cool. certainly appreciate you reaching out to us and coming on. It's It's been great. And honestly, I can't wait until the next time we have you back on. Yes. Can't wait to buy some books. Yeah, and I'm about to check out on Amazon right now. (laughs) Well, great. You know, if you really love baseball like we do, uh, talking baseball is one of the greatest uh, pastimes. used to be called the Hot Stove League, you know, sit around, and even in the offseason, you you still love baseball best. So I appreciate the plugs. You know, if anybody is interested in any of my books, you know, go to Amazon, punch in Wayne Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, and uh, any publicity you guys give me is appreciated because I sure love talking with you guys today. Absolutely. Go make make sure to go check out his books and uh you know, do you have social media? Yeah, I'm on uh Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Okay. So make sure to go try uh, yeah. find him there. Um I don't know if you know what your Twitter handle name is off the top of your head, but we can let people follow you there. No, I don't, but I I guess you just, usually if you just Wayne type in Stewart. Wayne Stewart, you're okay. gonna find stuff, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yep. I mean, we'll we'll find you on Twitter, and uh, when we post this video or this uh, audio, we'll be sure to tag you in it, and uh, we'll send it yeah. to your email as well. We'll uh, appreciate it. Link. Yeah, thank you yep, again, great. and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Take care. Sure, anytime. Bye. Take care. Take care, Wayne.
Mm-hmm.